Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Tad Skinner. I'm one of the pastors here. And before the kids are dismissed, before uh, we open up uh, our passage for this morning, I wanted to make a brief announcement. This is uh, for our members. So if you're a guest here, we're glad that you're here. Just kind of tune this out for just a second as I speak to the members. Uh, last week, Pastor Mike shared uh, a financial update. And I know it's the summer and many people are in and out. So I wanted to share that with you again because many uh, probably didn't hear where we're at where we're at midway through the year. So as of this past week, we're about $30,000 behind in our budget giving. We have a calendar year uh, budget, so it begins in January, ends in December. And so we're about halfway through the year, we're about uh, one month behind in our giving, which is pretty significant for this time of year. So many of the things that I'm sure you know that we do to promote the gospel, uh, to disciple uh, members to, to reach uh, people that need to hear the good news, things like Vacation Bible School. A lot of those things are, are um, funded or able to do through your faithful giving. So I want to uh, just thank you for those that, that have been continuing to give. So uh, this is an announcement that, that none of us want to make. None of us enjoy making this, of course. But we just really want to begin to uh, share with you the need to catch up on our, our budget giving because if we don't catch up soon, when it gets into August, September, we're going to have to make some decisions to change and adjust our budget. So we wanted to make you aware of that in advance so you can be praying about that. So would you please pray with me about that? Uh, we know that our offerings to God are, are not to be born out of compulsion, uh, not to be coerced. So that's the furthest thing that we want to do. We just want to remind you that that God is the giver of all, gifts, all good gifts, uh, that he has given us every possession already, that we are merely stewards of what he's given us. We're, we're just shepherding along the gifts and, and possessions, finances that he's given us. So I want you to pray about uh, how you might give and uh, how we might joyfully give in response to what Christ has already given uh, so richly and shown us an example of that and sacrificing himself for us so to give in that way as well. So would you please pray about that in the coming weeks and would you pray with me about that right now? Uh, Father, we praise you for your provision to and for us. We know that you are concerned first and foremost in matters like this uh, with our hearts. And so, God, we ask that you would guard our hearts as we look at our finances, guard our hearts as we consider what we ought to be giving to you as a sacrifice for what you've already given to us. Father, we pray for your peace as we seek to honor you. We pray that your name would be made great and your gospel spread all through Tempe and the world through us, your servants. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hard transition from that uh, to our passage. Uh, kids, or parents rather, of kids up through fifth grade, you can take your kids out to the patio. There's some wonderful volunteers with the Gospel Project. You're welcome to keep your kids in here if you want, uh, but your choice as to whether you leave them with us or you take them out to the patio and they'll be taken to their classroom. So let me just orient us a little bit to where we are. Uh, it is the summer, we have guests, so we're halfway through uh, our study of the book of Mark. We started in January, we'll end in December, so we're, we're about halfway through uh, the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament, so go ahead and turn there now. It's, we're in Mark chapter 10, and if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible under the seat in front of you. It's a blue Bible. Uh, it's on page 493 of those Bibles, if you don't have one. And our passage today is about marriage. 
So all aim to show us in Scripture that Jesus wants us to see the meaning of marriage, he wants us to see the heartbreak of divorce, and he wants us to see the redemptive power of God. So I have, some of you know this, I have the unique opportunity to do some, uh, uh, to, to see some wondrous things uh, in my job, my other job, instead of, uh, in addition to being a pastor, I'm also a psychologist, I'm a Christian counselor, and part of what I do is, is marriage counseling. So uh, I've seen some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows within a marriage. Uh, we have, in our closest relationships, we have such a great capacity to spur one another, one another on to, to greater things, to challenge each other to be better than what we are. But also, on the flip side of that, in our, our um, uh, closest relationships, we have the ability to hurt each other very deeply, to inflict some, some great harm. In fact, some of the, the worst harm that I've ever seen inflicted has occurred within a marriage. And then there's some pretty sweet things that I've witnessed as well, couples that are 30, uh, 40, 50 years into marriage that are, that are giving to each other sacrificially. I've seen great forgiveness within marriage, things that I would never have guessed people would be able to forgive, and they're able to do. And then I've seen some pretty funny things as well. So just one example of that. Um, I had uh, a while back a sweet older couple, been married 60 plus years, uh, this um, legacy of, of love and uh, godliness that they had passed on to their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. So he was 85 years old, she was 81. So husbands, don't try this if you're younger than your wife. That won't work. But he's 85, he's a, uh, she's 81, and she was in there and she was just kind of lamenting her poor memory and her inability to do all the things that she used to do. She's 81 years old, right? So, but she just was going on and on about that. You know how sometimes we get in a mode where we're just, we're just self-loathing, we're just beating ourselves up, and she was in that mode of doing that. And after a couple minutes of listening to that, the husband just bellowed, you're 81 years old. Old. You're old. People your age are dead. So there was silence for a moment, and I was trying not to laugh, and thankfully, she kind of snapped out of her stunned silence, and she started laughing as well. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. So, Katina, I hope that if I live to be, if we live to be that long, that we have that kind of marriage. I hope that same thing for all of you who are married as well. So with that introduction, our topic today is marriage. It's actually marriage and divorce and remarriage. So this section of Scripture is different from the previous uh, several. In the past couple of weeks, we've seen the transfiguration. We've seen a young boy uh, with an unclean spirit. We've seen the feeding of 4,000, the miraculous feeding of 4,000, 5,000. Those are things you don't see every day. Any of you seen the transfiguration this past week in your lifetime? No, you don't see those things. But we do see marriages. We see those all the time. So this is highly applicable to our lives, very real life. So in our passage for today, Jesus is once again asked a controversial question. And the question he's asked is a difficult topic for today. We'll see it was a difficult topic back then as well. So things really don't change. The sin issues of today are the sin issues of yesterday. 
The subject is marriage, the subject is divorce, but setting the specific topics of marriage and divorce and remarriage aside for just a second, this relates to the theme of the first half of chapter 10. And that's the theme, the overarching theme is discipleship. So today it's marriage, next week it'll be children, the week after that it's, it's possessions and finances. So real life things that we can relate to, uh, it's a trifecta of difficult but relatable topics. So before we get into the passage, let's see the overarching theme is that all of life is about Christ. Every aspect. There's no aspect of our life that isn't under his authority. There's no portion of our lives that's off limits. So from our relationships to our hobbies to our work to our leisure, everything is to be submitted to his great name. We're to make much of Christ in all things, in every aspect of our lives. Now, admittedly, that's much more difficult in some aspects for, for different people. So for some, it may be marriage. For others, it might be parenting. I think for many, it's finances and possessions. Regardless, we take our cues in every area of discipleship from Scripture. Scripture informs every aspect of our lives. So today's topic is marriage, divorce, remarriage. It, too, is under the authority of Christ. And for some in here today, marriage isn't, it's not a laughing matter. Some people are in very difficult marriages. Some people have gone through very difficult marriages. Some people have gone through, had parents who divorced. So this is a, a very difficult topic, I know, uh, for many. So if that's you, I'd encourage you to hear the message today as a, a beacon of hope that God cares. His ways are not the ways of the world. The world promises big but delivers little. God promises that we will have suffering. We will struggle in this world, but he, he delivers big. His is a hope in Christ that we have, no matter what our circumstances are. He gives a peace that surpasses our circumstances and whatever it is that we're going through. And again, for others, there's hurt and disappointment and possibly shame from the past as we bring up this topic of marriage, divorce, remarriage. And to you, I'd say that we can find joy and contentment even as we may still be struggling with the consequences of either our sin or somebody else's sin. And for most of us, we know someone who personally has struggled with um, in their marriage, in divorce. So thinking through these topics will help us to be compassionate and to be understanding and to know how to walk alongside people who might be going through uh, uh, what, uh, what we're talking about today. So this is a very personal and difficult topic for most, if not all of us. So let's be gracious and kind as we, as we walk through this today. Let's take our cues from God's, uh, God's word first and foremost, and always, and not take our cues from uh, our personal experiences. Personal experiences are not unimportant. Personal experiences are actually very important, but nothing is more important than the Word of God. So no matter what your personal experiences are, God's Word trumps that. So the outline for this morning, we'll, we'll seek to understand the context of this question, this controversial question that the Pharisees are asking. So we'll understand the context, then we'll talk about marriage, and we'll talk about divorce and remarriage. So the context of the question, then marriage, then divorce and remarriage. So Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12 is our text. And let's see if we can understand the meaning of the words of Christ and apply it to our lives. We'll read just the first five verses. And we read, And he, Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. 
And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And, Mo and Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. So Jesus had left Capernaum, went out to teach and minister to the people, and we see again that the primary ministry of Christ was to teach. It says, as was his custom, he taught them. The crowds kept coming. They were hungry for what Jesus had to say. They were hungry for his word. But notice, too, the, the Pharisees were still lurking around. Now, there's a, a children's song, Everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to follow. You familiar with that? That's not just a Skinner household thing. Everybody's heard that. Okay. Uh, well, at this point in time, everywhere Jesus went, the Pharisees were sure to follow. And not because they, they loved him, not because they were interested in, in hearing all the wonderful things that he had to say, but they were, they were following him because they wanted to test him. They wanted to trap him. He was already headed his way to the cross. And they were just trying to guide him towards that. They were trying to find a way to get him there. And that's what's going on here. The topic is divorce that the Pharisees have brought up. And to understand the topic, we need to go back all the way to the Old Testament. So Moses, you remember Moses, the prophet Moses had led the people of Israel out of Egypt into the, the desert on their way to the promised land. And he had uh, given them the Ten Commandments from the hand of God. And now Moses was in the position of being the mediator between God and man. So he was taking the word of God and helping to apply it to the people's lives, telling them what it meant. So that's much of what Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, is about, is taking the Ten Commandments and applying it to uh, the people so that they can understand it. Now, before we go further into this story, just understand this. We've always been sinful. Going back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, extending till today, we're a people who take, uh, we, we stretch the bounds of morality. We, we take what is a good commandment of God and we maybe ignore it or we misinterpret it, and thus we disobey. Or we take, what's more likely, is we take the good commandment of God, and then we, we see the line of that commandment, and then we just barely stick our toe over. And the next time we maybe go a little bit further, and we start to smudge the line, and before long, we've lost, not only have we broken the commandment, but we've lost the meaning of the commandment. And that's what had happened at the time of Moses. So they had lost the meaning of marriage. They didn't understand anymore what was the purpose of marriage. What was it about? So a good thing given by God had been distorted. So the people of Israel were, were sinning by, by breaking, uh, by treating marriage flippantly, by making a mockery of marriage. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses clarified the expectation for marriage. So in that passage, he makes an allowance for divorce. Now, why why does he make an allowance for, for divorce? Well, if we cut right down to the, the bottom line, he knew that people were going to sin. We're a sinful people. They were already sinning. And he was creating that or writing Deuteronomy 24 to protect women. So remember back in that time of Moses, it was a, a male-dominated society. The men held most, if not all, of the power. Now, follow me on this. This will take a little bit of thinking, so... Uh, Pay attention to this and try to, try to turn on your brains for just a second. So apparently some men, they would get married, man and woman were married, 
And then the man would divorce his wife, go have an affair or go be with other women, and then at some point later in the future, he would remarry that wife. So she couldn't get remarried, only to him could she get remarried. So it was a loophole. It was, it was disgusting. It was exploitation. It was a distortion of God's good intention for marriage. So Moses permitted divorce, but he said that the woman must be given a certificate of divorce. Now, that may sound strange, but a certificate was necessary because it prohibited the husband from remarrying his divorced wife. He might divorce her, might want to remarry her, but she could say, I remember we got divorced, here's a certificate, and you can't remarry me. But even more importantly than that, that certificate allowed her to remarry somebody else. Because at that time, no one wanted to marry a woman who was divorced but didn't have a certificate. Because the first husband still had claim on her, I guess. Again, this is, this is disgusting, right? It's very distorted. It's not what God's intention was. That's the point. So Moses created this or wrote, wrote this, God wrote this in Deuteronomy 24 to protect women. It was, the intent was to discourage quick and flippant divorces. The intent was to make people uh, provide a reason for a divorce. So you have to have a reason to get a divorce. So you with me on this so far? All right. So stay with me a little longer because by the time of Jesus, some liberal rabbis were taking that commandment or that, that word from God in Deuteronomy 24 and they were distorting that allowance or, permit, or permission even further. They were using this passage as a means to actually encourage divorce. Now, how were they doing that? Well, there was a, a great debate, a great argument going on at the time of Jesus, and that argument was over the words, some indecency. Some indecency. So if you were to look at Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, Moses said that you're allowed to divorce your wife if some indecency was found in her if there was some indecency. Again, the intent was to make uh, the husband provide a reason for divorce, to protect the women, but that word some indecency is what was causing the, the argument. So here's some literal examples from the time of Jesus concerning how the phrase some indecency was used to justify divorce. Now keep in mind some of these examples from the time of Jesus, uh, most of them are not sin, some of them might be sin, maybe, but there's certainly no reason to divorce your wife, right? So here's some examples. If the wife burned a meal, which has never happened in my household, <laughs> ever. If she walked around with her hair down, that has happened. If she spoke to a man on the street, that's happened too. If she spoke disrespectfully of her husband's parents, that's never happened. So any of those could be legitimate reasons for divorce. That's some indecency that was found in the woman, according at least to some progressive liberal rabbis. And if that wasn't enough, some rabbis held that the phrase some indecency meant that if a man found another woman to be more beautiful than his wife, then he was free to divorce. Now, if you're married, husbands turn to your wife and say, that's impossible. And it better be, right? Because when you get married, you're a one-woman man. You're married. You've got eyes only for your wife. Amen? All right. So pretty disgusting. Yes, we're joking about it. We're laughing about it. But this is, this is really disgusting, isn't it, that there was an argument over this. 
We're a people capable of incredible harm and injury. We have dark hearts. We're actually vile without the redeeming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is just one example of many. So in opposition to the liberal rabbis, the, the, more the, the other side of the argument, the more conservative ones interpreted some indecency to mean only sexual misconduct of some kind by the wife. So the Pharisees were putting Jesus in the middle of this argument. They were trying to draw Jesus into a trap. Perhaps they were trying to, do, uh, trying to have the same end as what happened to John the Baptist. You remember in Mark chapter 5 when uh, John the Baptist had uh, called Herod out, King Herod out, for taking his brother's wife, and he ended up in prison, and then he ended up without his head. I think the Pharisees were hoping for a headless Jesus at the end of this. So they were, they were trying to trap Jesus in some way and get him in the middle of this argument. So uh, let's look now at how Jesus responded to this question. Let's, let's read. Let's go back to Mark chapter 10, verse 2, and we'll read through verse 9. So beginning in verse 2. It says, And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So again, the Pharisees are, are trying to put Jesus in between the liberals and conservatives, if you will. They're expecting him to answer whether a man can divorce his wife for any reason. But I think we've seen, have we not, that we can't control Jesus. You can't control Jesus. Rather, he, gets, he doesn't answer their question. He doesn't really uh, get to, the, to uh, the question, but he rather he gets to the heart of the issue. He answers uh, really the main purpose of this. And this is, I think, the Jesus that makes us a bit uncomfortable at times. Makes us uncomfortable because he doesn't give the answers that always that uphold the culture. He doesn't give us the answers that always make us feel good about ourselves. He doesn't appeal to his personal experience in answering these questions. Rather, he drills down to the core of the issue and answers with the Word of God. He answers with Scripture. Now, wouldn't you rather that the answer to moral issues sometimes be something that draws from your personal experience? I mean, I'm sure that Jesus had an Aunt Sally who maybe when, you know, 10 years ago, his Aunt Sally divorced, and now Aunt Sally is just so much happier now in her life. And so he could have used his personal experience and answered their question that way. Well, you know, my Aunt Sally... She got divorced, and she's so much happier now, and so I think divorce is okay. So you can divorce for any reason that you want. He could have used his personal experience, but no, he used Scripture. Jesus isn't like anyone else. He doesn't fit into the categories that we would like him to. The Bible is his authority. He interprets Scripture with Scripture. He takes the words of Moses in Deuteronomy and he helps us to understand them not from personal experience, not from cultural experience, not from emotional experience, but from Scripture. 
That's, that's so different than the way that I often do things, and probably you as well. I have to remember that Scripture is grounded in an unchanging and a perfect God. My personal experiences are grounded in shifting sand. My personal experiences are fickle. They're dependent on my emotions. They're dependent on my often imperfect desires. I, uh, I'm 49 years old. I, I thought I had everything figured out, most things figured out, when I was in my 20s. I can look back now, 20 years ago, and see how wrong I was on certain things. When I'm in my 60s, if God lets me live that long, I will look back to this point in time and see how wrong I was in certain areas as well. My personal experiences are wrong. My emotions are wrong at times. But beyond that, who's to say that my own personal experiences are better than your personal experiences at determining moral issues, what's right and what's wrong? Maybe yours are more authoritative. Maybe you're more enlightened than I am. And who's the arbiter of that anyway? Or who's to say that the cultural view of today is better than the cultural view of 100 years ago or 100 years from now? Or that this culture right here at this time, this place where we are, this culture is more authoritative or better than that of the culture in uh, East Asia or Sub-Saharan Africa or the Middle East? Friends, if you're a believer in Christ, we must remember that we seek our authority not in ourselves, not in our culture, but in the Word of God. And if you're not a believer in Christ, but you're here today, we're, we're so thankful you've chosen uh, to join us uh, today on this hot day to brave the hot weather to be here with us. We can't go into detail on all of the, the wonderful character qualities of God, who He is, how He's good and kind and just and loving and compassionate, but stick around, keep coming back, and you'll hear all of those things over time as we go passage by passage through the Bible. And it's his character that undergirds his authority. It's because he's good that we can look to and trust his authority. Even in the hard things of life, we can do that. So think about your character for just a moment. It's not so good, at least not all the time, is it good? And if we think about our, our culture today, it's even worse, isn't it? Even worse than what you think your character might be. So why in the world would we take cues from the culture or from ourselves on issues of morality or on issues of anything? God's word is his authority, is our authority. And it is grounded in an unchanging, perfect, holy God who exists above culture and above us who isn't driven by his emotions or by changing tides of the winds. So, that's what Jesus did. He looked to God, he looked to Scripture as the authority. So what did Jesus actually say? Well, Jesus spoke Scripture. Verse 6, if you look back at verse 6 with me, verse 6 is a quote from Genesis 1.27, and then verse, verse 7, and then the first clause of verse 8 are quotes from Genesis 2.24. So we tend to think that marriage is a man-made construct, that this is a social thing. We invented marriage. But you see that word uh, wife in verse 7? Again, that's a quote from Genesis 2.24. That's before uh, Adam and Eve sinned. That's before the fall, before sin entered into the world. God initiated marriage. God invented marriage. 
Marriage was an original part of God's good plan for us. And marriage, just like everything else, has been distorted by sin. It's been distorted by the fall of man. But marriage is still part of God's good plan. Jesus affirms that marriage remains part of God's good plan in verse 9. Marriage is to be highly valued as one of the largest foundations and building blocks of society. And as such, it shouldn't be entered into lightly, and it shouldn't be exited lightly either. So notice that the Pharisees ask a question about exiting marriage, and Jesus answered them by pointing out the value of marriage. One Bible scholar put it this way. He said, Jesus endeavors to recover God's will for marriage, not to argue about possible exceptions to it. His opponents ask what is permissible. He points to what is commanded. Now, let me just step out of this passage for just a moment. And uh, this is obviously about marriage, but it's about bigger than marriage as well. We, we do this all the time, don't we? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm often looking for the loophole. I'm looking to uh, just cross over that command just a little bit. I'm looking to get just a little bit more Uh, stretch the boundaries of God's commandments or whoever the authority is at that moment. I I do that with time. I do that with money. do that with lots of things. I think we all do. But we must remember that whatever God has commanded, whatever God commands is for our good. His commandments are good. Now, we don't have time to read Psalm 119 uh, right now. It's about, take you about 10 minutes to do that. I would encourage you later this afternoon, remind yourself, Right now, I'm going to read Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is all about uh, what God says about his commandments, how his commandments are good. So here's just a couple of things from Psalm 119. It says that his commandments are better than gold and silver, that they're wonderful, that they're good, that they're words of life, that they give light, that they impart understanding, that they're right, they're true, they help us, they're for our good. Now, this is, this is true of all of God's commandments, not just God's commandments about marriage. My prayer is that we would grow more and more to love God's commandments, to see them as a far greater than anything else, to not look for permissible shortcuts or loopholes around his commandments, but to take his commandments seriously, to see that they're for our good. Now back to the passage. Jesus is rightly pointing out that you you can't understand you, you can't understand the reason or the importance for marriage if you're looking at a passage about divorce. Right? You you can't understand what, what does God's word say about marriage if you're looking at a passage that talks about divorce. So, what is marriage actually for? Well, he points us back towards when marriage was initiated, back in Genesis. Back in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. He reminds the Pharisees and us of the importance of gender in marriage. In Jewish custom back then, the woman has few rights. The husband is the Lord of the house. But Jesus quotes Genesis 1.27, reminding us that God created male and female. God engendered humanity, meaning that he established man and woman as separate from each other, as different from each other, but as equal to each other and as ones who had joined together in marriage. 
And then in verse 9, he, he instructs us that God is the Lord of the marriage. It's not the man who is the Lord of the house or the Lord of the marriage. It's not the woman who is the Lord of the marriage. It's God. It says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And then he also reminds us that the relationship between a husband and a wife is more important than the relationship between a, a, a father and his daughter or a mother and her son. Again, quoting from Genesis 2.24, he shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So Jesus shows us that a husband's allegiance is first and foremost to his wife, not to his parents, not to his children, but to his wife. And the same goes for the wife towards her husband. And that can be extended naturally to other things as well. So the husband's primary relationship is to his wife and not to his boss, not to his job, not to his online friends or the video games or his hobbies. And likewise, a wife's primary relationship is to her husband, not to her kids, not to her mom, not to her friends, not to her family. If we take a step back again and look at this, this is really beautiful, isn't it? Jesus took a question that was meant to trap him. Not just a question that was meant to trap him, but a question that was about one of the most painful things that humanity goes through. Divorce. And he rebukes the ancient Jew Jewish custom of domineering leadership and abuse of authority of the husband. And he rebukes our culture, which at times pushes us to value people and things over and above our spouse. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't point out the ultimate meaning of marriage, the ultimate purpose. That's further revealed later in, in Scripture. Specifically, it's revealed in Ephesians chapter 5. It's another passage maybe you can read uh, this afternoon. I think it's Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. I think it is the whole passage. We're just going to read a portion of that. Verse 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then in verse 31, again quoting from Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So we know from Genesis that marriage was invented by God for our good. And it wasn't merely invented because of loneliness. It wasn't invented to keep guys out of trouble. It's created in order to point us towards Christ. When a husband lovingly leads his wife, when, he, when he's gentle, when he's kind to her, when he gives freely of himself to her, when he sacrifices himself for her, when he does those things, he's imitating Christ. His wife, his children, and the watching world all get a small glimpse of what is to come, the marriage, the ultimate marriage between Christ and his people, his bride, the church. And when the wife lovingly submits to her husband's uh, godly, healthy lead, when she respects that lead, when she looks to him rather than to a fallen world, when she does those things, she's living out the way that the church is to respond to Jesus. And the watching world, her kids, everyone around her gets to see a small glimpse of the relationship between Christ and the church. Now that's, that's not easy. 
at all. Whether you're the husband or the wife, those are both difficult tasks. This is a difficult thing to do. Marriage is difficult, right? I mean, that's what I've heard. That's not from my own experience. (laughs) Every moment with you has been pure bliss. I'm sure you can say the same thing, yes. Really though, marriage is difficult. It's not an easy thing. Our marriages are meant to be a picture of the gospel. And when we do that well, we are glorifying Christ. And it takes people around us to help us to do that well. A church who is praying for us, supporting us, encouraging us in that. Now, to those who are unmarried, and you're listening to this, and you're hoping one day to be married, ladies, look for a man who will love you sacrificially, who's, who's looking uh, to not make much of himself, but to make much of Christ. Someone who loves Christ. And men, look for a woman who submits herself to Jesus, who's not looking to make her own way, someone who loves Christ. And to those who are single, marriage is not the promised land. It's not a better state of being than singleness. Uh, Scripture exalts singleness. Read 1 Corinthians 7 to get a glimpse of what God has to say about singleness. Uh, Jesus was single. Paul was single. Singleness is not a second-class status. This passage is about marriage, so that's what we're talking about today. But, But singleness is not a lower state of being. All right, let's move on to the final three verses in our passage. So reading from Mark 10, 10 through 12, and we read, And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So Jesus and his disciples move away from the Pharisees, from the crowd. They enter into a private setting. And as was the custom, the disciples are questioning Jesus. They, they don't get it. Now, this is encouraging to us. Uh, Jesus' teaching was so countercultural, so extraordinary, that they had to ask him more questions about this to clarify this. And so that's what's happening here. Jesus, help us understand what did you really mean when you said this? And by the way, would you go back and answer the question that the, that the Pharisees asked. So Jesus answered the Pharisees' questions about divorce by answering about the true purpose, the true meaning of marriage. And again, it's not something that can be dissolved at a whim. It's a sacred covenant made before God. It's not about having a wife as a possession. Instead, a wife as a partner, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, as Genesis 2, 23 says. So what about divorce and what about remarriage? I mentioned at the beginning of our time today that this was a topic that I would imagine has touched all of us. All of us know somebody, at least, who's been through a divorce. Friends, no matter the cause, divorce is a tragedy. It's devastating, and it's heartbreaking. It wasn't God's plan from the beginning, and it's never, ever to be celebrated. I told you at the beginning, I I do marriage counseling, and occasionally I will have somebody in my office who just went through a divorce, and they will be celebrating that divorce. And on one level, I can get that when I understand what they've been through and some of the situations, but divorce is never 
under any circumstances, something to celebrate. But we are all sinners in various ways. Amen? Many of us have very regrettable and consequential sins in our past. So let's, let's, as we talk about this topic, let's rid ourselves of self-righteousness. Let's, let's get away from a state of judgmentalism as we think through this. We all know someone who's been hurt, hurt by divorce. So as we consider the words of Jesus, let's seek to love and support and encourage those who've been affected by the tragedy of divorce. Amen? All right, so a couple of things about verses 10 through 12 that would be helpful. First, this is not the only time in Scripture that uh, the New Testament, God's Word, talks about divorce. There are other places in Scripture. This is just one of them. So we do see in other passages that divorce is permitted. Not commanded, but permitted. In cases of sexual immorality or in cases where you have a married couple and you have one of them that's a non-believing spouse, one of them that's a believing spouse, if the non-believing spouse walks away, abandons the family, the believing spouse is free to remarry. Okay? Those are the only two examples in Scripture, or only two exceptions in Scripture, in scripture that the elders here would agree uh, are reasons for divorce. And again, that's where divorce is permitted but not commanded. And regarding remarriage, we do see from Scripture, other places in Scripture, how in some situations it is possible, it is right, it is good to remarry. There are reasons where somebody can and should remarry from Scripture. But this passage doesn't go into that detail, does it? And that can be frustrating. It's a little bit frustrating to me as I was working through this because I want to talk about those things, but I want to be faithful to the passage. We, we want all the answers. So why is there not all that detail? Why did Jesus not just lay out, well, here's one, two, five, whatever examples of when you can divorce, and here's five, six, eight, whatever examples of when you can remarry. Why did he not go into all that detail here? Remember I said that we're a people who over and over again, we, we blur the lines of God's good commandments. So much so that we lose the meaning and the purpose of that good commandment. And that is what had happened at the time of Jesus with marriage. So Jesus is asked this question. He's understanding that uh, marriage has been distorted. And he's concerned with answering the question that would allow to get to the meaning of marriage. To help people to recover that purpose of what marriage is really for and what marriage is about. He's not concerned with laying out all of the reasons that you can divorce or all of the reasons why you may, might uh, remarry. He's interested in reminding us that marriage is intended to be a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. That marriage points to the ultimate marriage between God and his people. So now I know that there's several a dozen different examples going through many of your heads of what about my Aunt May, what about my friend George, and their divorce, their remarriage, their marriage, all of those things are probably going through your head. So you're saying, Tad, explain when is divorce allowed, when is remarriage allowed? Well, that's not the point of the passage today. I'm going to disappoint you. But I will give quick counsel on this, and then I'm, I'm very happy, our elders are very happy to talk with you after the service or some other time. So 
catch us, email us. Very happy to explain some of these things, um, what Scripture has to say on that subject. But I want to be faithful to what, we're, what Jesus' point was in this message today. So let's understand first and foremost that, that this is a nuanced thing. From my counseling experience, there's so many different situations that this requires wisdom. The issues of, of divorce and remarriage require wisdom and counsel. So go get it. If you're struggling in your marriage, or if you are divorced and you're considering remarrying, then ask somebody for help in those questions. Talk with your church family about that. So one of the applications of this passage is to not be flippant about entering into marriage and to not be flippant about exiting marriage. We should very carefully consider those things. So in some cases, a believer is sinning when they divorce. Absolutely. In some cases, they're not. But it always grieves God. Divorce always grieves God, and it's never to be celebrated. Let's do remember that sinful divorce, though, is not the unpardonable sin. All sin needs to be repented of. All sin can be forgiven by God. And God is in the business. well. It doesn't mean that our marriages or our lives will be perfect. In fact, obedience to God often means that our lives may be more difficult. But obedience to God always leads us into the protection of God. His plans, as our, His Word, His commandments, as are outlined here, are perfect for us and are good for us. They're better than ours. So what Jesus wants us to remember here is Scripture. He wants us to remember the goodness of God's commandments, even in the most difficult of experiences. He wants us to look to Scripture for the meaning of marriage, for the, the tragedy, the heartbreak of divorce, and for the power of God in redemption. The ugliness of sin has been around since Adam and Eve. Divorce had become a flippant, casual thing at the time of Jesus, just like it is in our, our lives today, in our culture today. So Christians, let's resist that culture. Let's lift up the marriages in our church. Whether you're married, single, divorced, widowed, remarried, let's lift up the marriages and value the marriages in our church. Let's not take what seems like an easy way out when marriage isn't what it seems like it ought to be. Those of us who are married, let's seek to remember the meaning of marriage that our marriages are meant as a celebration and as a form of worship. 
They're meant to point towards the ultimate wedding feast that is to come between Christ and his people. And let's end well by valuing what God has given and what he's commanded us. Let's pray. Father, we lift up the marriages in our church. We pray that they would be strengthened. We pray that they would be renewed. And Father, we pray for those that have been hurt by divorce as well. God, we praise you for your redemption and for your grace, even in the hurt of divorce. And God, most of all, we thank you for your truth. And the difficulties that we face in life help us to be sanctified in your truth and to be reminded always that your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen.